Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the only thing we have to fear is fear itself and so my fellow americans ask not what your country can do for you ask what you can do for your country we are fortunate to be alive at this moment in history i can hear you The truth is plain to see. If you want freedom, take pride in your country. If you want democracy, hold on to your sovereignty. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin of The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be together. Historic, historic days we live in. Historic days. Justice Amy Barrett, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, confirmed by the U.S. Senate. An extraordinary, historic day uh, for her. Well, historic for her life, I mean, obviously. But uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, There's a lot to that, a lot of things I want to cover there. But before we get to that, don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com to get this, uh, any of these interviews I do, any of these segments up there. Also, sign up for the Daily Wink and be sure to share all of this on Twitter and Facebook. At Eagle Ed Martin is my Twitter handle. Ed Martin Live is me on uh, Facebook. And spread the word. We need to get more folks paying attention. All right. So what do you need to know today? What's the Daily Wink? What do you need to know today? Let me just uh, break it down for you. This is as uh, big a day as, you know, the last, the last 36 hours. Let's do this right in the last two days president trump has gone to six cities all across mostly the east he has been tearing across the country talking to record crowds firing people up and here's what you need to know late last week i actually came out on sunday i take it back sunday new poll out from trafalgar group Michigan Trump up by two florida up trump up by two and arizona trump up by three That's what the Trump campaign knows. They've known it for a long time. That's the direction it's going in. What what you need to know on campaigns is at a certain point in a campaign cycle. And I know because I ran for Congress in 2010 and I was the Missouri Republican Party's attorney general nominee in 2012. You in a big campaign, you learn how things sort of flow. And there's a certain point in campaigns where you get towards the end and you just know the direction it's going in. And you just kind of hold on because that's the way it's going. And right now, what I can tell you is the Trump campaign is surging. I mean, surging. They are surging in every measurable way, whether you talk about voter registrations up, turnout and early voting is up. These rallies that Trump is is speaking at are huge. The truck rallies are extraordinary. I don't know if you these organic truck rallies. My father and mother, they live in New Jersey. And, it, and, and, and my father called me and said we had a truck rally of a thousand cars. My brother and his family live in Massachusetts. There was a truck rally. These aren't exactly, by the way, Republican strongholds. 
And all the ways I spoke earlier today to an African-American friend of mine. She said to me, look, you don't you don't even pay attention. You don't even know African-Americans do not have any enthusiasm for this president. I mean, and she says she could I'm not mean to be silly. She said some do. Obviously, they're hardcore Democrats, but rank and file, not even rank and file, regular folks that happen to be African-American do not look up and say, oh, man, I got to have me some Joe Biden. And she said, my friend said that a lot of uh, African-Americans don't really like Kamala Harris at all. They think she's not really of their experience. Now, I don't have any reason to say that I know that. I'm just I'm telling you that uh, it, we are we are at a point, And what you need to know is the campaigns are feeling a momentum or they're feeling where the race is going. And the race is going extraordinary surge for Trump and it's stalled for Biden. I've been calling it the Biden fade. He physically feels like he's fading. He's making mistakes down the stretch. Now, do not get me wrong. 42, 43, 44, 45% of the country hate this president. You know, we'll vote against him. I'm not saying that he's going to win a landslide of the electoral vote. I will predict everything I see is not just that he wins every state he won last time, but that he picks up New Hampshire, Minnesota, New Mexico, Nevada. I think the president is going to see his coattails in states. This is important for you to know in states that have a challenger, a, a Democrat incumbent, a challenger against a Democrat incumbent, they have a chance to win. Michigan, John James, New Hampshire, Minnesota, even Virginia, where I live now. The states that have a Democrat incumbent, that, in other words, a, a Democrat U.S. senator of the swamp, you can throw them out because people are sick of the swamp. That's why Pelosi will lose, because the American people are so sick of the swamp, they just throw people out. It'd be very tough for lots of other, it'd be tough for some people to win in 2022, but that's what's going to happen right now. And, and, and what you need to know is that the Trump campaign, all the basics, they're knocking 3 million doors a week. They've got rallies of this size. They've got voter registration bigger. They've got, uh, the, the energy of their candidate. They've got these rallies. They've got, uh, the, uh, uh I mentioned voter registration. And so you're seeing what I call the Trump surge, and then you're seeing the Biden fade. And the 60-minute interviews, if you did see them, I only saw the clips of them. Kamala Harris, she looked terrible. I mean, she didn't look terrible. She sounded terrible. She was a terrible interview. She came across as light and not serious and kind of uh, unprofessional. And here's the greatest news of it all. This is, again, you talk about momentum. For three months... Peggy Noonan of the Wall Street Journal has written about how she doesn't like Trump. She doesn't like the direction. She doesn't like this, doesn't like that. Now, she's a Republican. She leans more center right, but she's a, and she's a very good writer, but she's just writing. I don't like him. I don't like him. I don't like him. She wrote a column two days ago, three days ago, late last week, where she basically said Trump can win and said, oh, boy, that Kamala Harris seems kind of light, seems kind of. And she's getting blasted for being racist until now. Peggy Noonan, until she did this, Peggy Noonan would have been lionized by the, the, the moderate left and the, even the left because she was blasting Trump. Now, because she decided to say that uh, Trump is actually he sounded like a reasonable person. He sounded like an everyman. She, she said, Peggy Noonan said, Biden sounded like a um, a candidate, a politician. She said, you know, this typical politician speak bipartisan commissions to answer the question on court packing. Come on, man. You know the answer. 
You just don't want to give an answer. You want to kick it down. You want to hide the ball from people. And Peggy Noonan, and then Peggy Noonan said that Kamala Harris didn't seem serious. Now she's called a racist. Peggy Noonan is. And on and on and on. And of course, up in Pennsylvania, the president's pounding away on the fracking message. You want to take away the, the economy of Pennsylvania, get rid of fracking, which is what Joe Biden said he would do. And you're just back to this message of who's on your side. And again, what you need to know is at a certain point in a race, you start to just feel the way it's going. And the polls are going in that direction and the voters are growing in that direction. Now, I will tell you again, I do not believe any of the polls. I'll tell you the story from 2016. I did a lot of uh, radio and television on the last day of the election, election day itself. I was doing interviews in New York City. I was in New York City. And there I was. And people said to me on these interviews, I did one back to back to back. And they said, you know, Trump is going to lose a historic loss. You know, you really must feel silly. And I said, look, in Missouri, where I'm from, they say Trump is going to win by four. I I just think that's off. He's going to win by more. And here's the answer. He won by 19. So in 2016, if you were asked by a pollster or anybody else, if you're for Trump and you said you were, they generally kind of mocked you. They said, oh, isn't that silly? You know, why would you be for that guy? He's not going to win. He's blah, blah, blah. In 2020, if you don't know someone and they ask you who you're for, you probably don't tell them because you don't you, you might be called a name. You might be called a racist or or something else. That's what the mainstream media. That's what the blackmailing media has done. It's really driven people over the edge in a way that we didn't haven't seen before. And what you need to know is that's what we're facing in these last weeks. And you have to be willing to kind of get yourself together, you know, get all the pieces together, put your head down. But I'm I'm just I want to encourage you if you're listening to this now, Trump surge, Biden fade. That's the reality of what we're seeing. It's a Trump surge and it's a Biden fade. And that's the way it's going. And then one more thing, of course, I go back to it uh, just hours ago. Amy Coney Barrett became an associate justice of the Supreme Court. What an extraordinary achievement uh, for this president. What an amazing thing to have happen and uh, what a future she's going to have on the court. So you're going to want to check that out. That that was an amazing, uh, amazing event. Amazing thing to pull off. Um, Again, I salute Mitch McConnell. I salute uh, the White House. I salute the Senate for holding together. It, um, this is consequential. Think about it. A, a president's first term, president's first term, and you've got that, that much success in terms of the uh, impact of, of, the, uh, of the election. I mean, it's just amazing to think about how much of a difference that will make and what it does uh, for the country. So there you have it. That's pretty cool thing to see and we will um, be interested to see what happens in the next couple of weeks because as I tell people there's going to be at least one maybe two maybe three maybe maybe four maybe five I don't know it could be as many as five or ten appeals to the Supreme Court things that are going to go right up to the Supreme Court straight from the uh, states Pennsylvania could be the first one in the next few days on the question of whether you have to have your ballots in. And Amy Coney Barrett will play a role in deciding that. It's an extraordinary success. All right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we've got some uh, some great guests tonight, uh, and uh, we'll have them all right after this. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our next guest, this is uh, this uh, gentleman's book uh, caught my eye because, of course, four years ago, right about now, I wrote a book, um, and it was called 
The Conservative Case for Trump. I co-authored it with Phyllis Schlafly, the late Phyllis Schlafly, as well as Dr. Brett M. Decker. And uh, Jesse Romero, our next guest, has written a book, and it's called A Catholic Vote for Trump, the only choice in 2020 for Republicans, Democrats, and independents alike. So first of all, welcome, Jesse. How are you? Thanks, Ed. Thanks for having me on your show. So two things I want to ask you. One, um, did you were you for Trump in 2016? And if you were, then that's one thing. If you weren't, then I have a second question. So were you for Trump in 2016? Yes, I think uh, oh, you were. Yeah, OK, good. Um, yep. And uh, and so let me ask you then before we get to the book itself on the Catholic part of this, you're a retired uh, 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 sheriff's department employee, retired veteran of the sheriff's department. Is um, what's your sense of this election? It feels like the sort of rioting and all the violence has stopped conveniently, I might say, for Biden. But is that what people saw over the summer? Is it does it will it have a impact on, uh, on on this election, do you think? Oh, without a doubt, we're, we're looking right now. President Trump represents law and order. I I wear three hats when I talk about President Trump. The first hat Uh that I wear is Catholics for Trump. He's the only choice for Mm -hmm. Catholics based on the fact that his policies are congruent with Catholic social teaching, especially on the life issues, which is for Catholics Mm -hmm. at the top of the food chain, the issue of the right to life, the issue of the sanctity of human life. Now, let me put another hat on. Let me put the Latino hat on. Latinos mm-hmm. are social conservatives. When you sit down with a Hispanic, and I'm Mexican-American, my parents are from Mexico. When you sit down with a Hispanic, we are social conservatives. And a, a Hispanic is quite naturally at home. He fits right at home with the Republican Party platform. Uh, a, a Hispanic that's a Democrat, it's like putting a circle into a square. You, it just can't, we don't fit because uh, their party platform is basically a polar opposite of Hispanic culture and Hispanic values and Hispanic family life. Third hat I'm going to put hmm. on. I'm a retired cop, retired LA cop. President right. Trump is the most law and order president in our lifetime. In fact, uh, you'll see, generally speaking, uh, the chiefs of police and the sheriffs across the country, the unions and associations, uh, 99.9% of the, the, the times, they, uh, they basically uh, put in their, you know, they, 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 they show for the uh, Democrat candidate because, you know, law enforcement is basically a blue-collar job. This mm-hmm. is an anomaly, what's happening here, that the entire country... And we saw that in the, in the Biden-Trump uh, debate, number one. Joe Biden could not name one sheriff or chief of police that was, uh, that was uh, you know, voting for him or that was advocating for him. This has never been done. Reagan didn't do this. The Bushes didn't do this because this, I got two kids who are street cops right now pushing back every night against BLM and Antifa. They're brave young men. And let me tell you something. They know, law enforcement knows that this president has their back and law enforcement knows based on the statements of biden and harris that biden and harris are anti-law enforcement they want to defund the police and in fact they actually receive money from uh, antifa and blm through their websites Hmm. 
We're talking with Jesse Romero, and, and you should go to jesseromero.com, his website. Uh, he's got his writings there. He's got his schedule there. He's got what he's doing. A uh, very impressive biography, as you mentioned, Jesse. You're, you know, you're a, a retired cop. You're a Hispanic, obviously, and you talk about that. And then also the Catholics for Trump. All right, so um, today... Uh, the uh, another Catholic confirmed to the U.S. Supreme Court. If you if you like it, you say, "Wow, this is unbelievable." You know, there's Alito and there's uh, uh, um, Kavanaugh. Oh no, it's Kavanaugh. Might Kavanaugh might not be. Uh, but so here it is. Uh, yeah, is. When you Kavanaugh watch, is. he is okay. And yep. and um, oh, that's right, Georgetown Prep. So only problem is, I think Sotomayor says she's Catholic too, which should, I don't know if that counts. But uh, so Jesse, when Catholic. you <laughs> when you watch the uh, when you watch. Yeah, when you watch the hearings uh, and over this time, what do you what do you think about the, the idea that there's anti-Catholic bigotry? Oh come on! I mean, it was obvious for everybody. Everybody that saw the hearings, it was very plain. Now, Diane Feinstein, who for uh, a couple, I think two years ago, when she got Amy Coney Barrett got confirmed to the previous yeah. position she had, Feinstein yep. didn't want to go down that rabbit hole again because the last time she had told her because she found out that she had seven kids. And she looked at her and mm-hmm. she said, the dog <laughs> lives loudly within you. So she didn't, go, right. she didn't go that far this time. But the other ones, all the Booker and all the Owens, Klobuchar, they were basically circling the wagons and asking her questions that impinge upon her Catholic faith. I forget what Senator asked her, said, you know, like, said, Close. Well, so you belong to a group that, that uh, you, you ladies call yourself the handmaids of your husband. You know, that's a biblical reference yeah. to women in Scripture and stuff. So she, she takes her faith serious, and because of that, uh, they, what they were trying to do, if you notice in the hearings, they were trying to basically allude that she's going to basically uh, be a stormtrooper and, and get rid of Roe Wade and everything else that the, that the liberals have basically been pushing for the last couple of decades. But uh, she kept answering them without without any mm-hmm. notes in front of her. Like Hillary Clinton had two pa- two binders, like three three pa- three inches of, of paper in front of her. No paper in front of her. She had a mind like a steel trap, and she was basically telling her, "I'm not here to uh, uh, to to basically make policy for either party. I'm going to read the law." And take it for what it says. I'm a constitutionalist. I'm an originalist. She was masterful, but yeah, she's a devout Catholic, and mm-hmm. uh, and they were trying to find some way to elude that she's going to be, you know, you know, using her Catholic faith to basically influence her decisions, but they never could trap her. Yeah. We're talking with Jesse Romero again. His website is jesseromero.com. So your book, Jesse, is called A Catholic Vote for Trump, The Only Choice in 2020 for Republicans, Democrats, and Independents Alike. Now, I've, I haven't read the whole thing. I have read a, a bunch of it. I kind of hopped around. I had a copy. Uh, but I want you to tell, you know, you got a listener out there who's listening and saying, OK, I'm finally going to listen to this guy. I haven't been listening to Ed Martin, but I'm going to listen to Jesse Romero. So what's your what's the top ones? I know I know uh, when you you know, the, I thought it was interesting your first chapter was called Love, and the second one was Main Street versus Wall Street. And I thought you started to really tap into uh, how Catholics feel about things. But what's your number one reason you'd say to someone, if you're Catholic, you, you, ought, to th- you ought to consider voting for Trump? Uh, the number one reason is that because Donald Trump, he manifests or reflects uh, what this country was built on. Look at a 25-cent coin. It says... Uh, you know, in, in God we trust. 
He speaks more mm-hmm. about God than any other president I've ever seen. And he doesn't use it like as an adjective or as a throwaway line. You could see that he's really committed to what he says. And he talks about Jesus Christ. He's unashamed about talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. What else do we see in a 25-cent coin? Liberty. President Trump represents liberty versus socialism. He's promised us that this country will never become a socialist country under my watch. And he's the most pro-religious liberty president that we've ever seen. He's promised us to, uh, to have justices of the Supreme Court that are going to be originalists and constitutionalists. He's, he's kept his promises. He's the most uh, you know, pro-business-friendly president we've ever had. He's the most uh, you know, pro-jobs-creating president we've ever had. Uh, he's a nationalist in a good way. He cares about this country because if we don't take care of ourselves, how can we help other people? And the third thing that you see in a 25-cent coin that says e pluribus unum for many one, that's Latin for, uh, yeah, for many one. President Trump looks at all of us like Americans. The Democrats and the liberals, they look at all of us. They want to keep us fighting. They're always jitting up these race wars, and they look at everything through the lens of racists. They're trying to always uh, uh, trying to hyphenate. You're a black American. You're a Mexican American. You're a Japanese. How about we're all Americans? That's what Donald Trump sees. Right. It is. Uh, I think that's right. And also, uh, I think that the I tell people the hyphen is a minus sign. It takes away from people, doesn't bring them uh, life. OK, now, what's your what's your you're an evangelist? I, when you when you look at Jesse Romero dot com, I see you're out in churches, you're out in the community. What's the response you get from the community when you when you're for Trump? I know some people come up and say, oh, thank goodness, I've been looking for that. But other people really are hot on you. Have you have you are you having um, are you having is it your sense that this election is going to be different than people think? Uh, uh, what, what's your what's your feeling? Yeah, I'm a cap. Uh, I'm a retired cop, and I'm a ca- now a Catholic lay evangelist, much like what Billy Graham and and, and Franklin Graham do in uh, you know in, in in the in the Protestant denominations. Yeah. I do that in the Catholic Church. I'm trying to elevate people's thoughts and minds to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I can tell you this: I'm sensing the pulse of the people as I travel around and give lectures. He, uh, Trump is going to win. The hand of God is behind this man, and so are the people, because the people know that this man generally loves them. And this is why spontaneously people yell at rallies, we love you. You know why? They never did that to Bush or, or, or Clinton or Obama or, or, or Reagan. They sense that this person loves them because he's not a politician. He's a businessman. Yeah, it is. Uh, I do think that. And I think um, I think one thing people don't understand is a whole bunch of people in our country that sometimes felt left behind, whether that means they're poorer, or they have less opportunities. I think they just like somebody who's pulling for them. And it just feels like the one group Trump pulls for is Americans. If you're not American, you're not going to be on the top of his list to pull for. It doesn't mean, he, you know, he's going to pull for American citizens, whether they're being held hostage overseas or he's trying to get the unemployment numbers up or whatever. You feel like you've got a, a shot if you're uh, you're on his side. All right, Jesse, just got a few a few seconds left, about less than a minute left. Um, again, what do you expect on Election Day? What do you think we're going to see? What do the pollsters not know? What's your Give me some sense of what's going to happen on Election Day. Well, you can just see uh, this country, the mainstream America loves Donald Trump. Wall Street America hates Donald Trump. He's not a politician. He's what I would call a, bl- a billionaire, blue-collar guy. Uh, he's for the common man. He's for what they call the deplorables. Uh, what he's, he's for what uh, Joe Biden just called us, the chumps. And the fact is, he mm-hmm. connects with people because he's a real guy just like you and me. He's not somebody who's been part of the swamp for 30 years like Joe Biden, 
people see right through that, mm-hmm. and we're going to see a victory for President Donald Trump. He's going to be the president for four more years. All right, jesseromero.com, a lay evangelist in the Catholic Church, a retired policeman and uh, father and a Hispanic leader. Uh, Thanks very much, jesseromero.com. We'll talk again soon. I appreciate your time. And the book, of course, I will put put up on social media, A Catholic Vote for Trump. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And, you know, there's been a lot of coverage... And this is really interesting. You know, one of the great things about doing this program, the Pro-America Report, and so many great listeners both uh, at The Answer San Diego and then online folks uh, get the podcast and other things is listeners and guests and people that are contributing will say, hey, do you notice this? Do you notice that? Well, our next guest is a gentleman named Michael Volpe. He was with us a few weeks ago, I guess, Michael, not that long ago. And he was emailing me saying, hey, Ed, are you paying attention here that there's um, a couple of issues that are being, they're talking about Roe v. Wade. They're talking about, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, different cases, they're not talking about one or two that might be the most important in terms of the swamp. And uh, so, first of all, Michael, welcome back to the program. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. Well, it's good to have you. So tell me, uh, first of all, get, set this up for me. Set up uh, what you, when you emailed me, you were saying, hey, Ed, why aren't we talking about these couple of uh, Supreme Court cases and these couple of issues uh, mm-hmm. that are uh, uh, you know, out and about? And I know you wrote a piece, uh, I guess almost two months ago, on, on the, the, one of these topics. We'll talk maybe about that as a framework of this. And, uh, and again, I, I want, I'll put it up on social media for people that aren't aware. But walk us through your thoughts, Michael. Yeah, but basically both of these Supreme Court decisions... I have found are very important in some of the cases that I cover, and I'm just stunned that you never hear during any of the confirmation hearings any questions about either of them. So the first one is Brady versus Maryland, and essentially Mr. Brady was uh, convicted in a murder, and he was trying to reduce his sentence as much as possible. And what happened was the prosecutors withheld evidence that the murderer said, yeah, the, Mr. Brady was just there. He didn't actually pull the trigger. Uh, and they withheld that. So what happens now is anytime the prosecutors withhold what's called exculpatory evidence, which is uh, evidence that will help the defense, it's called a Brady violation. And this Brady versus Maryland case is one of the most cited in jurisprudence, certainly a And one of the things that that really piqued my interest is Judge Kaczynski, the the former mentor for Judge Kavanaugh. At one time, you know, I I don't have the quote in front of me, but he called Brady violations an epidemic. And that's a very important thing for a judge to say, because presumably the only way he could come up with that conclusion is because he'd seen it so often. You know, the, the case that he said it in, this must have been one of those where he's like, not again. How many people are in jail because prosecutors are withholding evidence? How about Michael Volpe, by the way, who is uh, uh, for, I think, almost 15 years or so is in finance and now is a freelance journalist uh, based in Chicago. Uh, and again, I'll put his stuff up on uh, social media. By the way, for, for people that are listening, the Brady cases, the Brady issue is at the heart of the Sidney Powell's claims with regard to General Flynn and more broadly with regard to the abuse of power, her book License to lie is basically about how prosecutors, the, the power structure, the 
power um, balance tipped in favor of prosecutors in the last couple of uh, decades, and and Brady is supposed to be a check on that. And but let me, Michael, let me interrupt you for one second. Where would you think the Brady question should be coming up? Should it be coming up in the context of uh, of the Supreme Court nomination of Amy Coney Barrett? Do you think it it should be coming up more specifically uh, by judges in other matters? Where 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 are you not seeing that dog that should be barking? Oh. All of it. But wouldn't it be a great question to read what Judge Kaczynski said and ask Judge Barrett, do you agree with him? Why or why not? How about we save one of the endless stream of abortion questions and and have one one senator? One senator asked this question. But more broadly, how... Prevalent is prosecutorial misconduct. That's a that's a larger question that should be asked a lot more often of the media, of the of the politicians, and of the citizens. Is the is the district attorney that you are electing, and the district attorney is elected, everyone else they appoint? Are they cheating to win? Do you know how yeah. often does it happen? Uh, these are questions that are never asked. It's Brady versus Maryland. It came up in front of the United States Supreme Court. And by the way, that was like 1960. The, the technique with holding this, this statement, you see that all the time. This isn't new. It was happening in the 60s. It's still happening. So how often does it happen? Isn't that an important question? Yeah, and Michael, uh, Michael, we're talking Michael Volpe, and I want to—we're running out of time, so I mean, we won't yet. We got five minutes or so, but I shifting over. Stump versus Sparkman is another case, 1978 Supreme Court case, which is meant to Mm -hmm. uh, hold judges accountable. I guess what I'm hearing you say, Michael, if I could put a larger frame on this, and this is where I point our listeners: um, nobody expected our founding that judges would be as powerful as they are. I mean, lost in one today in the current environment in the last 40 years. 50 years, judges have become sort of quasi kings, or even worse than quasi, just kings and queens. And uh, you can, Justice uh, uh, um, Associate Justice um, Kennedy, when he said, you know, the person's definition of of self can be, you know, whatever they want, and you're like, wait a second, these guys. And so, you, you know, what you're arguing for is why don't we have a better articulation of the limits of judicial power? And, and and there are a couple of examples the Supreme Court did to themselves, Stump, uh, Stump versus Sparkman, uh, the Brady case. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're saying, where is that? There's not any even, even it's almost like we're conceding that we still want these kings and queens ruling us. We just want a more benevolent one. We're not conceding it. They gave it, Stump versus Sparkman is a case where the United States Supreme Court, for all judges, gave near total immunity. In that case, a woman walked into this judge's office, held Stump, and she said, my daughter is hanging out with the wrong crowd. I think she's going to get pregnant. Make, make it stop. He signs an order in the chambers, no hearing, nothing, to, 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 for, for this girl to have uh, to be sterilized. And the girl thought she was getting her appendix taken out. And when she tried to get pregnant, she sued everyone. And the United States Supreme Court said, regardless of what he did, since he was acting as a judge, it's okay. You can't sue. And what I can tell you is, anytime you go after a judge, they stick you with Stump versus Sparkman. Last time we talked about the Rucky case, Sandra Brzezini Rucky versus David Rucky. In that case, the judge threw a woman out of her home where she had lived for 15 years. Without a hearing, he held what was called a telephone conference, and she wasn't even there. She was given three hours. Then, sometime later, after her attorney sued the judge, he forced that attorney to conduct part of a custody trial, handcuffed to a wheelchair. When, when she amended the lawsuit, the, the lawyer, that is, 
uh, the judge, when he responded, stuck the decision that he made in the custody trial to his response. And he said, Stump versus Sparkman, basically saying, I was acting as a judge. It doesn't matter what I did. And of course, the lawsuit got thrown out. This is the kind of power we give them, but they gave it to themselves. We didn't ask for this. And by the way, you said um, that the framers didn't know about the immense power of judges. I can tell you, go look at what Thomas Jefferson wrote. If they didn't know it, he absolutely believed it very, very early on. He especially was extremely yeah. concerned oh, with the amount of power. Oh, yeah, no, no. What I meant was they designed a system because they didn't want the judges to be powerful. They, mm-hmm. they, knew, they, knew, the, they knew the problem. I, th- I think they really expected right. that they'd have and a strong you know legislature. A, 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 yeah, go ahead. What the judges did is Marbury versus Madison, where they gave them That's right. all sorts of power that they don't necessarily have. But look, they do it for themselves. Think about it. Judicial immunity. What I would ask of Judge Barrett is, can you give her a copy of the Constitution and point to the part where it talks about judicial immunity? And then, of course, when she says that it's not there, I would ask her and explain the ruling to me. If judicial right. immunity is not in the Constitution, then how do these judges say you can't shoot a judge for taking away your ability to reproduce in the chambers because he's a judge? Tell me how this yeah. ruling could, could be if it's not there. You're an originalist. Explain it to me. And look, I, I understand that basically can't answer any questions. So but presumably she'd say whatever she'd right. come up with that you can't comment. But. Wouldn't that be a more interesting question than yet another question on abortion? Yeah, no, no. I think, and and if if um, if those hearings were anything other than kabuki theater, which they're really not, they're just a theatrical mm-hmm. uh, performance. Uh, then you would you'd expect a substantive conversation, uh, as you point out in your direction. I, look, I think you're really onto something, uh, and especially Michael. Again, we're talking Michael Volpe. Um, we have to have the rediscovery of Congress. You know, uh, the mm-hmm. Article One Congress understanding their power. And you know, as I tell people, the reason why they can talk about packing the Supreme Court is because the Constitution doesn't tell you, doesn't tell us, the people, the number of justices. It doesn't tell us the setup of the inferior courts. It's all done by Congress. Mm -hmm. Congress could take away jurisdiction. Congress could limit the role of the supremacist judges. Mm -hmm. And they have the uh, they have generally rolled over Congress every single time Mm -hmm. in the last 25 or 30 years. Some individual exceptions, but as a body. So uh, very good. Thank you, Michael. Michael, unfortunately, I got to run. Let's do it again. Uh, You're on to something here and I want to keep the conversation going. So thank you. Thank you, Michael Volpe. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. And we're upholding the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly, grassroots activist, author of 27 books, and articulate voice for traditional values for more than 70 years. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. All Americans remember the chanting crowds from the Trump 2016 campaign pleading for him to build that wall. In many ways, building a wall along the southern border became Trump's signature issue. As such, opponents of President Trump have stopped at nothing to prevent the wall from being built. Think about it. The Democrats started complaining about something being a waste of taxpayer money. Can you believe it? They must really be desperate. Defending the interest of taxpayers has never been their forte. Despite the overbearing opposition and intervening crises like COVID-19, more than 300 miles of border wall have been built so far. 
Constructing these sturdy sections of 30-foot-high border wall has used around 450,000 tons of steel and 650,000 cubic yards of concrete. The Trump administration is slated to have 500 miles of wall completed by early next year. When you combine this with the natural barriers already found along the wall's path, the 2,000-mile border will be more secure than it has ever been in America's history. This construction is ongoing, so be sure to check with the U.S. Customs and Border Protection website and find out the latest totals. There's a reason for all those build-that-wall chants. Americans are tired of people breaking the rules to come to this nation. Nobody likes a rule breaker. If someone would like to be a part of the greatest nation on earth, let them file for a visa like everyone else. America doesn't want unvetted people streaming across our borders to steal jobs, endanger citizens, and to use valuable resources. The rapidly rising wall is a symbol to the rest of the world of America's demand that everyone respect the rule of law within our borders. Other politicians have promised to secure the southern border. Congress even passed a law requiring it. However, no politician has ever had the audacity to follow through on it. President Trump was no politician. When he promised to build the wall, he really meant it. The border wall is 300 miles of proof that Trump is not afraid to follow through on his promises to we the people. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report with Ed Martin, president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. What's the latest on building the wall to protect our southern border? To the liberal media, it's a joke. But the crisis of illegal aliens is no laughing matter. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're asking serious questions regarding what to build, who's paying for it, and how best to deploy our military. Go to phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. Great interviews. Don't forget, visit ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and you can get all these interviews we're having with great guests. Go over there anytime to check that out. Okay, uh, let me finish up with a, um, a description for you. I know I've referred to it a couple times, and I think we'll talk with uh, my old friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker, tomorrow. Uh, but let me finish by observing. The, the Washington Post ran an article... It was an op-ed, I should say, so I, I should need to be fair. It's not, it wasn't a journalist's uh, point of view. It was an op-ed, but it included this sentence, quote, we must treat the Hunter Biden leaks as if they were a foreign intelligence operation, even if they probably aren't, end quote. Think about that. What that says is the Washington Post is willing to put on its opinion pages, admittedly, its op-ed pages, oh, this is mainstream media, and an op-ed that says we it probably isn't that, but let's treat it like that, because that's what to the best advantage of whom? I mean, the fact is it, you now have the admission of The Washington Post that they're not going to be worried about the truth and they need to act in such a way that will deceive people. That's what they say in their own paper. And I have told you for you know months now, but certainly I've sharpened the, the focus in the last few weeks. It, it feels to me like we're watching, we're hearing and watching the death rattle. So you hear it, the death rattle of the mainstream media. And we're watching a sort of ending of what can only be described as a sort of dark age in American life. 
the American Dark Ages. And I've argued that it's gone on for 60 years since the early 1960s when the courts started to be uh, be abused by activist judges. They took God out of our our uh, schools. They created Roe v. Wade. Activist judges decided to use the courts to change our lives, become kings. That's one example. But another one is the universities. Universities were corrupted by tenure and by the far left. Same thing with our regular uh, school systems. History has been corrupted. The justice system has been corrupted. And finally, in the last few years, not finally, there's other ones, but the most dramatic in the last few years has been the incredible breakdown of the media. I mean, think about what the Washington Post is saying. We they're not even getting to the bottom of the the, the issue of the uh, Hunter Biden emails. They're not saying that the Hunter Biden emails are um, real, which no one's saying they're not. Now, try, don't get me wrong. When someone makes an accusation and you can't prove the accusation uh, wrong, you don't get to claim that it's true. You see what I mean? It's the classic, when did you stop beating your wife? You know, you have to, if, to answer that question, you have to sort of slip into a trap. But that's not what we have here. What we have here is something physically that is available to look at. And if it can be debunked, if it can be proven untrue, then you can say it's not true. But if it can't be because it's physically there, it's not like you're saying here's it's not like you're saying, let me read to you an email from Hunter Biden to uh, to these business people that have interests in China, Ukraine, whatever. I'll read you the email and then I'll tell you, do you think that's real? And you say, well, I can't confirm it. Therefore, I'm not going to go and run a story on it. But if I say, let me show you the laptop it was on. Let me show you the metadata. Let me show you the other things that came along with it. Let me show the person who says they had the chain of possession, they call it chain of custody. If you can do all that, you get closer to having something that people can then make a judgment on whether it's true or not true. Not beforehand. So we're in this extraordinary position where the media has decided that they will be the judge of what is true, even if they think Actually, better, let me say it differently. They'll be the judge. They won't even bother to see if something's true or not, that they will say something about it in a way to mislead the people. Because let me read that to you again. The Washington Post guy said, we must treat the Hunter Biden leaks as if they were a foreign intelligence operation, even if they probably aren't. I mean, that's an extraordinary admission right there, isn't it? It's an extraordinary admission that that the Washington Post is playing a role in persuading us about something that they could otherwise check. They could check and see. And and I suppose the comeback, maybe the comeback is they say, even if they are true, they shouldn't be allowed to be seen because it's Russian disinformation or somebody's disinformation. But my answer to that is if it has to do with the candidate for president and the notion that he's compromised in the pursuit of money or his family is that it's not we're not getting an email exchange about Hunter Biden's preference for whether the Tampa Bay Buccaneers will cover the spread on Sunday. We're getting him saying, if you give me some money, I'll hold 10 percent for the big guy. And and then you have a a, a, a business associate of theirs standing there saying uh, we were this is what we were talking about. So my point here is this is a wonderful example of the death rattle of the media, the mainstream media. And as we exit the dark ages, 1960 to 2020, 
My point is that the, the, the golden age that's to come will have to include what I would say is citizen journalism and a new journalism, a new media that actually says, here's more transparency on this. It will be less uh, clean and polished in a sense, but it'll be more real and present. That's where I think we're headed. Something like that. So I just want to point that out to you. All right. We've got to run. Thank you, as always, to Randy for helping. I hope many of you listen to me filling in for Andrea Kay. She's great. I appreciate it. Go over to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com to get signed up for all my updates, The Daily Wink. And also, thank you to Joanna for helping book these great guests. We will talk again very soon. It's Ed Martin. You're listening to the Pro America Report. Talk to you soon. 